Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Artcast, a fortnightly arts review podcast brought to you by Kaz Murray. Hello. And Laura Leonard. This week we're focusing on Frida Kahlo making herself up, which is on at the V&A until the 4th of November. But just quickly before we get into that discussion, I just think maybe we should say a little bit about who we are. Yeah, and why we're here. Yeah, and why we're here. So why are we here, Kaz? Why are you here? That's a very good question. Well, I'm mainly here because you cornered me at a party and asked, <laughs> would you come along? Well, we were talking about Frida and you're like, would you come along and talk to me about it? And can I record you? Yeah. And I said and yes. To my absolute surprise, yeah, you agreed to that. I mean, I was in a very good mood. Knowing how affable you were, like, I wish I'd asked you, I don't know, for a hundred grand. You could have got away with all sorts. <laughs> yeah. But no, I've been listening to a huge amount of podcasts in the last year because I've been on maternity leave and I often have been playing in the background while I'm looking after my absolutely bonkers little baby girl and I've been actively looking for arts review programs because um, I love going to exhibitions obviously it's not as easy with a baby attached to your hip so I kind of wanted to live vicariously through somebody else going to exhibitions but the kind of conversations that I was uncovering around the visual arts just seemed a little bit um bit lacking stayed a little bit dated yeah Mm. not really kind of a very fresh or contemporary conversation and I just think particularly in terms of what's happened over the last year with the Me Too and the Time's Up campaign there is a huge amount of art history that we can kind of be questioning like long established truths that we've just kind of taken for granted so for instance I've, I was watching Hannah Gadsby's Nanette on Netflix which is just phenomenal oh it's just it epic yeah, yeah well I watched it after you said you need to watch it and yeah it's just uh, mind-blowing blew me away and um, so it's a work of stand-up comedy but Hannah Gadsby is actually a graduate in art history and one of the things that she spends quite a lot of time talking about is Picasso and his legacy and over the last 100 years he's just been absolutely revered as this genius with his prolific creative output that Mm. is always seen as so progressive and and so kind of expansive but she you know quite rightly highlights the fact that simultaneous to producing this artwork he was also doing things like embarking on affair in affairs with 17 year old girls when he was in his 40s and there's a particular didn't he say like a girl in her 70 when she we're both in our prime that's what we've got in common we're both in our prime and she was 17 years old and he was in his 40s and also another quote that that Hannah Gadsby mentioned as well is every time I change wives I should burn the last one which is just outrageous obviously it it kind of I think we need to be looking now at, at the fact that his artwork born of the same male gaze which sees a woman clearly as an object that can be picked up there's a lot of like talk at the moment as well like not just with like visual artists but artists more broadly about separating the person and the art where someone does something that socially maybe is reprehensible people go oh but I love the art and you've got to see it as separate and I'm like Woody Allen quite and I'm not I don't entirely buy that yeah, it's a difficult one. I think it's def- definitely there are questions to be had about you know, just keeping these people on plinths and not yes, and not talking about and who's missing comfortable. Yeah, exactly. So it just feels like now is the time to be having conversations and thinking about the the exhibitions that are being put on for us, the stories that the creators are, are choosing to tell us, and and what we kind of mm. how we react to that as a culture. Absolutely, and personally for me as well if someone says oh what do you like to do I was like, I'd love going to galleries but I probably don't go as much as I would like to admit um <laughs> so this seems for me like a really good excuse to actually get myself out yeah go see some good work hopefully and then have chats afterwards yeah well absolutely like I sort of pitched it to you as a bit group didn't I but we did but what we're talking about putting is... me on the internet yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> she actually mentioned that when I turned up today I thought we were just having dinner 
I just whacked out a mic. Yeah, I just pulled out a microphone by me. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be going out and, and exploring an exhibition every fortnight and then meeting up to talk about it like you yes. did a book. Yeah. Absolutely. So, we've worked on a little introduction to Frida Kahlo. Not that she needs one because I feel like she's just... She's kind of a big name now. Lady du jour. But um, just as a sort of like fact-based introduction to who she is before we get into some discussion... Take it away, Laura. So, Frida Kahlo was a Mexican artist born in 1907. She's most widely known for her self-portraits, which she prolifically produced throughout her career. She was also active in post-revolutionary Mexico, where she was particularly interested in post-colonial Mexican identity, so that became a huge concern for her that played out both in her personal and her artistic life. She famously wore traditional Mexican dress on a day-to-day basis, and she also took a huge inspiration from Mexican folklore for her artworks. Her story is inspiring and extraordinary for so many reasons, but not least because of the incredible pain that she endured throughout her lifetime. She was disabled by polio as a child, and then when she was 18 years old, she was involved in a horrific trolleybus accident. And it was actually thought that she wouldn't survive on the scene, and she certainly was never, that no one ever thought she would be able to walk again. But she did learn to walk again, um, but the injuries just plagued her with lifelong pain and medical problems. Carlo's paintings often have strong autobiographical elements. She mined her personal life and her physicality for her work, but she mixed realism with fantasy as well, which is perhaps why she was so readily embraced by the surrealists. She said of herself she wasn't a surrealist because instead of painting dreams, she'd always painted her own reality, so she saw her work as a a way of constructing her reality. Carlo had a long and tempestuous relationship with the Mexican muralist Diego Rivera, Both had extramarital affairs, and in their 24-year partnership, they actually had a year of being divorced as well. During their lifetime, Rivera was the more internationally acclaimed of the two artists. Although Frida had had a successful solo show in New York, and she'd exhibited with the Surrealists in Paris, her work had been shown at the Louvre, the MoMA, the Guggenheim, and the Boston Institute of Contemporary Art. It wasn't really until the 1970s that the art historical canon really took notice of her, and that was largely because of feminist scholars who were questioning the exclusion of female and non-Western artists in the art historical canon. Since then, she's been claimed as an icon for several minority groups. She's a signifier of non-conformity. She's emblematic of strength overcoming pain. And she has a huge and devoted international following. The V&A exhibition showcases a collection of Carlo's belongings that were discovered locked in her house in Mexico in 2004. Um, It includes clothes, jewellery, photographs, diaries, and other personal items. So, what was your top line sort of reaction to the exhibition, Kaz? So, my reaction, well, I was really looking forward to it, booked it, heard about it through my WI. So, I was really looking it's forward to it. Yeah, it's the grounds. Yeah. WI Network. WI Network. Following the zeitgeist. Yeah, I was really looking forward to it and it did not disappoint. I absolutely loved it, uh, devoured it from start to finish. I um, only left because the museum was closing and me and my friend wanted to go to the gift shop <laughs> before the museum shut. Otherwise, I probably could have spent about another hour in there. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to get your souvenirs there. Got to get, you? Got to get my postcard. Yeah. We actually had to... Um, set a budget before we went in really yeah just because it was my friend who I did crafting with and it was Uh just going to escalate and come out with all sorts um but yeah I just really loved it on so many levels yeah and recommended it to everyone I have to say I was slightly disappointed I know I know I know I know I still love Frida I still love Frida but no I um 
I was expecting. So the V&A blockbuster exhibitions that they do are phenomenal, and I thought it would be sort of on the scale of the McQueen they put on a couple of years ago, which was just an absolute, just euphoric experience. It was just like light and sound and colour and so much interactive material in every room. And when I think of Frida, I think of really strong colour and I think of strength and passion and, and excitement. And I just was expecting to walk into like, I don't know, like just a Frida landscape. Explosion. An explosion of Frida. And actually what I walked into was a very long and dimly lit corridor with little black and white photographs and text boxes. And, and it just felt very staid and very kind of controlled and um, and not really what I was expecting. But when I actually got into the sort of crux of the exhibition, the, the, the showcasing of the objects that they had, they had kind of discovered in 2004 I was delighted and I just sort of wished that perhaps the V&A had just charged me half the money and just let me roam around these two rooms for mm. as long as I liked but no it, the the objects themselves were phenomenal and I think kind of really showed a lot well it's called the, the, sh- the show was called making herself up and in a way it was sort of actually undressing her because it kind of showed what was underneath yes absolutely I mean just to sort of just to you know, argue on the opposite side, I thought that first room was, I take your point that because it was quite a darkly lit room, but I actually thought that was quite poignant. I thought it was like quite an important build up. First of all, kind of running through her life, which I knew quite a lot of it already because I've read a lot about Frida. But if you hadn't had that context, then you'd probably be a bit lost in the other the room, the subsequent rooms. One thing that kind of really struck me was she actually was quite practiced at posing from kind of helping her father out who was a photographer and then kind of posing for him and sort of seeing the seeds kind of quite early of like her later work that kind of penny dropped but it seemed like those two had like a particularly close and trusting relationship so she was able to kind of practice ideas of sort of creating herself with exactly with a really trusted you know and that famous like three-quarter face pose as well that definitely makes an appearance and then there's one photo which is quite famous which is a picture of her and her family and she's dressed in a man's suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's sort of, again, her playing around with her appearance and, and constructing an image that's also very different from the kind of context that she's in. Yeah. So I thought that was quite interesting to sort of see those seeds really early on in her character and then how that kind of carried through. Yeah, that's, um, a, really, that's a really good point. I just, I, I, I sort of agree with you, right? but I, I also feel like it depends how much emphasis you put on the artwork or the person who created the artwork and I sort of feel like we should start with the work and start with the the impression of that and then kind of delve beneath for the kind of biography I also have a feeling that people probably wouldn't go through the biography if you started off with like the juicy bits people would because that's what people were going like the final room when you see all of the clothes like Mm. and all of her outfits that's like the wow moment because that was what it was billed as that's I was expecting rooms and rooms and rooms of that well yeah but I suppose like if you then were like here's all the clothes and now walk through a dark corridor of um Mm. Of photographs people probably wouldn't look at them and I think there was actually quite a lot of like juicy things in there um mm. to kind of see and also just important kind of backstory which again a lot of people know but if you yeah. didn't know much about her you probably would be a bit lost in the yes yeah. in the like later rooms I guess yeah um, I, was, I was another reason that I was a bit disappointed too and I, I mean to be fair to the VNA they never kind of they never suggested that they did have a wealth of her artworks at the exhibition but I was hoping to see a lot more of her paintings alongside the objects. And that's partly because I feel like I know a lot about the cult of Frida Kahlo. I know a lot about how she dressed. I know a lot about her family 
kind of dynamic. I mean, not least because of the Salma Hayek film, the, the Incredible Frida mm. film that came out in the noughties. But I've, I just feel like there's such a kind of common awareness of, of Frida Kahlo as a personality, as, a, as an individual, but not so much her artwork. And yeah, I was excited to kind of learn a bit more about that, but there were very, very few actual artworks there. Yeah, there was there was quite a few. There was like quite a few of her like famous ones, but yeah, there wasn't that many. But I suppose the thing that I found really poignant and actually really moved me and had me sort of tearing up at some points was like as you sort of say, like kind of going behind the clothes um and sort of revealing kind of a new level of what that might be about. So a lot of people know that Frida's clothes is in part a like political statement in kind of reclaiming traditional Mexican culture and kind of anti colonialist agenda, but it also the what they talked about the fact that the sort of the clothes she wore favoring loose clothes so she was wearing corsets underneath because mm. she had problems with her back um and that this has actually enabled her to hide that yeah. long dresses in quite a flattering way yeah is it the hupil i don't know how you pronounce it that the little um shift top square little... yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's like a peasant blouse I yeah like kind of boxy uh boxy top yeah. um yeah and like the long skirt the the sort of movement of the skirt would potentially disguise her limp and also hide her leg because she had polio um, as a child and there was this one particular image which was a kind of a rough sketch that Frida did and they found it amongst loads of papers um, and it was a kind of drawing of her wearing the traditional Mexican dress and then she also had the sort of outline of her body underneath with sort of scars um, and kind of like damage to her legs and she'd written underneath it appearances can be deceiving and that really hit home that in some ways the clothes that she was wearing and the yeah. self that she was constructing was a kind of assertion of her will when she's faced so many like long-term health problems yeah. had nearly 30 operations and that must be so frustrating and this being one way to reclaim herself yeah. in a way or i found really distract from from a kind of from a vulnerability to show strength yeah. rather than that vulnerability i suppose but like it's also more than a distraction it's an actual like despite everything i am going to like control how I look so even though I can't really I'm having to be in a wheelchair or even though I've had to have my leg cut off or whatever like I'm still going like that sort of dogged determination Mm. yeah and you see that actually in the the prosthetic limb I think it was towards very much towards the end of her life like sort of 53 or 54 she had to have a leg amputated yeah it was like six months before she died yeah and um the prosthetic limb is is there in the exhibition and on the the little shoes that were attached to it they're decorated in with incredible embroidery yeah like um i think she was very inspired by chinatown in san francisco and so mm. they've kind of gotten a kind of chinese dragon on the side of the shoe and they're really intricate and beautiful objects yeah um absolutely for something which was ultimately a, a practical device that she she had to have an appendage to her body that she yeah. relied on it's like i think it's yeah it, there's something in it that sort of tells me something about gave me an insight into her character and I found kind of quite powerful as and and also it's like it's more than just clothes it's like yeah. an actual like her having holding on to a sense of herself yeah in the face of like lots of difficult illnesses yeah no but d- did that kind of stripping back of the layers did it make you feel uncomfortable at all because I so- sort of felt that she she made up herself for a reason she made up this self for a reason and did she actually want me to see under the layers true but then a lot of her paintings do there's that one painting where um she's wearing like the body brace and her spine is like you can she's like revealed her spine and it's a broken column so she yeah. did paint a lot about that but yeah though i think the one 
particularly a lot of the kind of medical contraptions that she wore that I was like oh I don't yeah looking at something that am I did she want me to look at this yeah. I don't know I've and got really I mixed think feelings I read in um some of the blurb actually in, I still in looked at it room. and read the blurb and you know yeah yeah <laughs> devoured it <laughs> <laughs> because you're a in my <laughs> yeah exactly I like, felt very uncomfortable about it but I was there for three hours but no I mean I'm I'm very much a sort of like curtain twitcher sort of myself like if I get to see through a keyhole I'll definitely take that opportunity no but um there was something a a little bit voyeuristic about the exhibition but I in that particular room with all the medical objects there was um a bit of blurb that said that they actually understood far more about the extent of her injuries through the discovery of these Mm. objects and that there were certain injuries that she had kept private and that made me feel a little bit voyeuristic a little bit like I was probing behind the scenes yeah definitely yeah I have that feeling with particularly with diaries and letters I have really mixed feelings part of me really wants to read them because I'm nosy and also it can give real amazing insight into people and sort of cultural history and all of that sort of stuff but also I have a feeling of like I don't the person has unless they've published it themselves I've Mm. not had permission and there was a letter actually from Nick Murray one of her lovers to Frida I got a few sentences in I actually stopped myself I was like I really don't want to read that because that feels really invasive yeah uh, because it's a love letter yeah and showed quite a lot of willpower didn't read on yeah I would have been all over that yeah but um but the thing that made perhaps the, the object that I found the most emotional or kind of awkward to look at and it's largely because probably I had my my daughter in my arms as I was looking at it like trying to keep her quiet bobbing her up and down on the exhibition was um the corset in which she painted the, the oh it was the body cast mm. yeah yeah the, sorry the body cast that she painted a fetus on on the abdomen of and knowing that she had hadn't been able to carry a pregnancy to term and how dearly she'd wanted a child uh, I just I found that a little bit there was a photo of her though where she was revealing it Mm. in later on I mean I'm I'm sort of I agree with you like maybe she wouldn't necessarily want that in a museum but yeah. yeah also it just struck me like all these casts she kept them yeah she kept all of it which is interesting because some of this stuff you think maybe chuck that out I don't know maybe it's a bit like Stockholm Syndrome I don't know it's yeah like, just they're so she's so relied on them they were so such a part of yeah her she was personal like, life that as much as she might have hated them it was also yeah familiar kept all of them yeah that's interesting and there is also the question of um like why these objects were kept for so so long without anyone discovering them yeah well i suppose diego had said i think there was like some something in his will that said that not to open them the mexican government couldn't open the bathroom until 50 years after his death me and my friend actually had a debate about this. She reckoned that it was because when Frida died, he probably walled up all her stuff because going through someone's things, and particularly things like lipsticks and makeup yeah. and things they've touched and like day-to-day objects is really painful, which I thought at the time, but then I thought about it a bit later and was like, maybe actually part of it is that, yes, this can be shown to the world, but let's wait for a bit of time until anyone who might be affected by the contents of the diary is no longer around or yeah and I think that you you have that with a lot of artists where yeah you know all people who who have lived in the public eye that a certain amount of time is left before things are released I think it's quite normal but I I think people have been um a bit accusatory of Diego's motives there about trying to sort of hide some of her legacy or something yeah controller I don't know Mm. I mean yeah my friend she felt quite strongly that it was probably grief or yeah because that is like savage like and I, I found the lipstick but there's something about that was like this is something she's touched and it's been used and it's really yeah. intimate 
it just it felt very human so mm-hmm. and I think what I liked about it is yes it was Frida making herself up and constructing her and she has become a bit of a larger than life mm. almost mythical character and this was actually showing a very human yeah. side to her that often you don't necessarily see yeah and um, something like a lipstick is incredibly personal yes. and it also obviously would have you know had the imprint of her lips on it it's quite a physical yeah of tangible Definitely. lasting relic of hers but but I think what concerns me slightly is that I feel like as a society we know so much about Frida Kahlo or we definitely recognize her image is instantly recognizable and we both talked about like whether we thought she'd be on Instagram if she lived now and I think we both 100%. quite confident that she would and I because, would follow her <laughs> yeah because she's all about constructing identity constructing the self and and it's a changeable self like she dresses up for each of her different self-portraits and she presents herself in a different manner and it's very created like curated it's very intentional and crafted Mm -hmm. yeah and everything is thought about and so she would be a star of instagram if she was around now yeah she'd smash it there's such a sort of cult kind of understanding of her physical appearance or um or just of the kind of mythology of her of her story that i i sort of feel like as a society, we should know more about her actual artworks. People absolutely adore sort of Warhol or Picasso. There's kind of cult, similar cult followings for those kinds of artists. But I think people are also generally more aware of their artworks as well. Whereas Frida, I worry that she's this whole, like, you know, and I worry whether the... the sort of ex- reduced to a costume. Yeah, exactly. Or just exhibiting her lasting relics rather than her artworks kind of just turns her into a bit of a, like, you know, yeah, it's, it's the oh, adoration yeah, yeah. of reliquary rather than actually what she was creating. But then, in part, like the the V&A does talk about it in that, like her outfit and the kind of clothes she wore. Like they almost argued that that there's like her paintings. There's also like loads of photography and photos of her which actually look a lot like her paintings, or mm. only less like surreal. But then also like her like clothes that being such a key part of like her construct and her political ideology and I think yeah. her sense of self and her work is about her reality yeah and how she navigated it how she navigated it so yeah. I could and her work also obviously kind of intertwines the real and the imagined the exactly. life and art and it's it's all kind of and you know, with um with Bowie and stuff like that yes it was his music but it was also his aesthetic his look mm. his clothes so I think you do get artists where the kind of clothes they wear and all of that is part of the kind of construct of their work mm. and what they do in their body yeah um, and it made I don't know there was just something about it that made I think it probably now if I were to see her paintings I would connect to her paintings more mm. having understood a bit more the personal side of yeah potentially what might have been some of the motivations and what might be behind her clothes yeah. and the appearance that she was putting out there. Well, I, I kind of tried to understand a bit more about why there weren't that many paintings there. And when I looked into it, I think it's because the Mexican government have declared all of her artworks to be national treasures. And so I think it's incredibly difficult to get them out of Mexico, even for temporary exhibitions. And mm. so I kind of, that might be part of the reason why they really haven't really got that much of her actual work. To yeah, show. which I kind of really respect because she is a national tre- treasure of Mexico mm. and probably those paintings could be flying around all over the world permanently and yeah. Mexican people wouldn't necessarily be able to see one of the ma- their major painters. I think the fact that her her artworks are so kind of visually arresting and um they feel very like we've said like very of a kind of Instagram culture is both the reason for her phenomenal sort of success now or, or her ph- phenomenal kind of 
that everybody knows who she, a celebrity status that she has now but also are they a slight failure in terms of her communist ideals because they're so readily merchandisable you know there's, there's yeah. so much Frida. I mean that's what I did. there is some irony there where I was like oh I can't wait to go to the Frida Kahlo gift shop yeah it's just... <laughs> and yet she was a staunch communist yeah so. but then there were other ins- idiosyncrasies with that so Frida and Diego collected a lot of stuff and a lot of like Mexican artifacts. There was loads of beads they collected, this particular type of Mexican painting called votive paintings, which is basically religious paintings of miracles or Mm -hmm. um, giving thanks to God. And actually seeing those traditional paintings and then realising she replicated a lot of her smaller works where it's not her self-portraits, basically, are kind of versions of votive paintings. And we were looking at that and my friend turned to me and she's like, she was a right and because you know religion and communism and traditional culture aren't necessarily two things that sit next to each other and in lots of other places when there were communist governments they spent a lot of time destroying traditional stuff and it was all about modernity and building and you know industry and building a new world and a new utopia and doing away with religion and old stuff that's so interesting whereas for the kind of the new mexican like post-revolutionary world it was very much about creating a post-colonial identity so yeah. a mexican yeah. identity so they were revering the exact absolutely that... which is just like an interesting like iteration of yeah that is really of that but yeah like there's definitely a moment being like she is a communist i thought yeah nope she is yeah. but there's a lot of <laughs> just the most decorative communist yeah very decorative yeah not yeah. <laughs> no like proletariat overalls yeah <laughs> although she would have probably rocked it but yeah that was like something that really struck out to me as well there's the other thing is sorry one more thing which i really liked is that i felt like it was very centered on her so a lot of the time people and definitely when frida was alive she was referred to as diego's wife and kind of doing painting as a side hobby and i felt like the way it was created it was like frida front and center and obviously diego was mentioned but it wasn't like a story of their relationship and her life in response to their relationship it was very much her world yeah and I really and almost heard more about this like lover Nick Murray than about him and I really like that because I think they managed to really keep the her in the center of the exhibition and about her stuff and then Diego every now and then had a cameo yeah it's refreshing actually that's true I mean as I was going around I was like oh I was hoping for a little bit more sordid detail on this you wanted to yeah but that's exactly it but the nitty gritty but that's actually all right people want the salacious details and all of that sort of stuff which again is like a similar thing of like the cult of her and what people are interested in and and all of that sort of stuff and it wasn't the only defining thing about her life even though he obviously was a massive part of her life but yeah there was also other facets to her too well so that sort of brings us to the question of your favorite your favorite piece from the exhibition so if you could take one (sighs) piece home to to have as your own to have on your mantelpiece or your wall or Oh God, that's really hard. I'm like, do I choose a painting or do I choose an object? Or an an outfit to wear. That's exactly what me and my friend did, which is partly why we spent so long. Because we're like, right, Alexa, you can take one outfit home. Yeah, which one you haven't. (laughs) Yeah, and I think my, actually my one was, um, so with one of the outfits, uh, there was this magenta scarf that was her favourite scarf. And it's in one of, a lot of photographs of her. And I just really liked it because it's faded and it's obviously been worn loads. And I don't know, there's just something I could really relate to about like, oh yeah, it's her favourite scarf. And it came with like a turquoise skirt and yeah. a white top. And I think that's probably the outfit yeah, it's just, I, get, I would that take kind home. Of, that really seems like that key wardrobe piece. 
piece that just makes you feel good. So, like, if you've got a day where you just need that extra bit of confidence, just whack a scarf on yeah, yeah absolutely i think that would be it yeah. was there anything what would you take um i'm a bit torn so there there was a painting that i absolutely adored yeah laura actually takes a painting i'm like i just want a clothes <laughs> i was just there for the clothes <laughs> yeah actually if i could take a painting the painting of the two freeders okay that nearly made me cry actually yeah. because there's something it's really sweet but also very lonely because it's basically she's her own companion her yeah. only companion and there's just something about that that would be the painting i'd take yeah it was her childhood sort of imagined friend wasn't it but it was basically herself yeah there's the frida in traditional mexican clothes and then there's the frida in kind of more like western clothes mm. but yeah like oh yeah the fact that she had a childhood friend because she spent so much time on her own yeah on her recuperation and that bed. kind of broke my heart a little bit yeah. so yeah i'd take that painting yeah and the one i loved is um where she's wearing a traditional mexican headdress partly from a technical approach because the the way that she'd rendered the lace was phenomenal. Was that the one with Diego on No, her there forehead? was one with that, but then there was another one where it was just like the kind of sunflower kind of lace around her face, but no Diego on her yeah. forehead. And um, the lace was just incredible. Like from across the room, I thought it was a collage. Like I thought she'd like... Oh yeah, almost like cut out paper. Yeah, it just showed the most kind of incredible technical talent. But also her, her face in that image is sort of at once really strong and it you know it stares you right in the eye and it's very kind of um bold in its appearance but equally she's crying she's crying oh, silent yeah. tears and i just really felt like that for me that kind of embodied my understanding of of both her strength and her vulnerability and mm. her the kind of decorative nature of all that lace but equally it's so meaningful for her because of the kind of political or national kind of associations of that particular garment so I think I would take that but I also really loved there was um a necklace that she'd made for herself with lots of little arm charms oh my oh just, god like, yeah, yeah. no it was weren't they legs oh were they legs like, yeah they no arms? they were legs I think that's what she was oh, okay loads of little leg charms <laughs> we'll have to check that <laughs> yeah so we later checked this and it was definitely legs so Kazimari won that one winning <laughs> thanks guys and now back to the podcast it was kind of quite a surreal it's quite surreal to hang it's also like it's a bit it's a bit it's a bit blue like it's quite like a dark joke yeah. in a way but it probably sort of says something of her like sense of humor yeah so kazi you've been tasked with looking at the arts news this week and uh, and bringing back the key stories so what's going on in the art world this week Cool. So my, the stories that stood out to me are the first one is a comprehensive report has revealed extremely low pay and high levels of sexual harassment within the Berlin art world. This report basically identified that artists were living on income as low as five thousand euros a year, which is nothing. Wow. Um, and also there was a pay gap with women uh, receiving 28 percent less, which is pretty shocking. And almost a third said that there was uh, they were aware of sexual harassment as well. Which I guess pretty what's chilling. so kind of um, kind of appalling about that is that Berlin is so kind of well known. Yeah, being hub, yeah, and being thriving art scene. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a bit of an underside of that. Uh, the second one is that British artists, including Steve McQueen, Anthony Gormley, and Nish Kapoor, have lent their support to a campaign to release the Bangladeshi photographer Shahid Al Alam. He was detained by the police in Dhaka 
because he lent support to student protests on television and he was charged with damaging the image of the nation. This really stood out for me because I'm in India years ago. I heard him speak and I found him really just amazingly inspiring. He was talking about social action and how to create change and yeah, really liked his work. So naturally knowing that he's in prison at the moment um, was like pretty sobering. My third pick is GCSE results have revealed a continued decline in the arts in schools apparently exams sat um, in art subjects were down by 10 percent from previous year some people think it's the rise of the Eng- english baccalaureate which might be squeezing the arts out and you know you're a strong proponent of the arts there so less people doing your choice of gcse's <laughs> laura we were talking earlier i did three GCSEs, arts gcse's i did music art and drama i just think i listened to a really amazing um episode of Reasons to be Cheerful with Esme Liband about arts funding uh, cuts yeah. and I just find it really depressing um, not least because in the sort of age of technology and with you know for instance it's really affecting retail right now with all the House of Fraser and, and Marks and Spencer store closures all those people from the shop floor that are found, finding themselves without jobs because people are shopping online and I just think in this day and age, what the kind of Edmund podcast I listened to was, was stating was that the art subjects are the ones that teach you to think um, creatively and to problem solve and to do things that computers can't do. To kind of, um, so for instance, that drama teaches you to presentation skills or social interaction mm, skills and yeah. things that just learning kind of like chemistry equations, like parrot fashion, like a computer can do that now. Like you don't, I just, I think yeah. it's really tragic. I don't think we're really equipping the next generation with the skill set that they're going to need for the world they're going to live in. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, academic subjects have been kind of pushed by government. But yeah, it's it's showing that arts are on the decline. Unfortunately, it makes me worry about who's our next wave of like artists coming through and are we nurturing that kind of well, yeah, that's the, that's talent the, in the UK? That's the flip side of it. Like, art, the arts are one of our most thriving industries. It's one of our biggest exports is, is our kind of artistic talent whether that's contemporary visual artists whether it's playwrights whether it's film like music we we should be really proud as a, as a nation of our kind of artistic footprint but how's that going to be oh i guess the only way that it will be perpetuated going forward is people from independent schools will be the people who are creating that art because they're the people who are being invested in well it will be affluence i also wonder whether there's one type of story that's being told yeah which is also an age as old as time but yeah hopefully that'll go the other way because also what about the future of this podcast we won't have anything (laughs) what's next for us (laughs) we don't have any art to talk about but yeah those are my stories this week Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for our first episode. Look at Hooray. that. We did a podcast. Done a podcast. And Productive Thursday night. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you liked what you listened to. We'll be back next week. We're going to see the drag exhibition at the Hayward. Can't wait. <laughs> so um, that's what we'll be talking about next week. But for now, go and see the Frida. It's on until the 4th of November at the VA. And book, because it's, it's very popular. popular. Yeah. I loved it. I'll be there again. Um,